elegant weapon but a more civilized age ladies and gentlemen welcome to an elegant weapon episode 395 my name is jay J.M. Clark, Jay, the Jedi Ross, Ross, Jedi Jane, as always, it is so wonderful to have all you beautiful babies here with us in the High Walker studio this evening. I uh, hope everybody's well. I hope everybody's safe. I hope everybody's doing okay. I know it's a tough, difficult time out there, uh, but we're all just trying to hold strong. So I hope you're all doing that. A uh, bit of a weird uh, thing to talk about tonight. We're going to get a lin- little bit into it. But first, what I'm going to do is that inevitable weird spot where I'm going to click to expand the link that you can watch uh, an elegant weapon right now. And I'm going to mute that there audio. And now your comments can come through freely. We're going to share this shit all around the Internet. So, uh, kids, uh, we had a little bit of an unfortunate uh, event happen this week. Uh, someone very, very important to the podcasting community. Uh, unfortunately, we have lost this week. Uh, Mr. Dave Phillips, uh, the founder of Podcast Detroit, co-founder, of course, with his partner, Bob. Um, he left us this week and it has thrown everybody for quite a loop. David was an incredible dude. He touched a lot of lives, like a lot. Um, He was as supportive a human being as you could find. I met Dave about five years ago at Motor City Comic Con, hit it off right away. And uh, yeah, since then, he has been unbelievable. He was there at any time I ever needed him for anything. If it was the smallest little bit of IT advice or internet advice or pod advice or human being advice, Dave was always there for a fantastic meaningful, intelligent conversation. Um, he's going to be missed greatly. It's, uh, it's shocking and very unexpected um, what went down. So uh, everybody's been thrown for a loop, um, but everybody's been sharing lots of very cool memories because that's pretty much all there is out there of Dave is very, very cool memories. Uh, a few of us have been talking. We are going to get together and do something a little more proper, uh, a pod wake type situation, if you will. Um, this is kind of unprecedented for us in our circles, uh, in all our circles. Dave and Podcast Detroit, longtime supporters and friends of Source Point Press, they were part of the family. So it's not just the podcasting community, but the comic book community, the independent community, the Detroit community. Uh, everybody's hurting right now. Um, so hug each other. Uh, we'll tell some very cool stories. Um, uh, tonight's guest was very, very kind to reschedule because we were supposed to pod last Wednesday when the unfortunate event occurred, kind of threw me for a crazy loop. So uh, we have rescheduled for this evening. And Dave, if anybody I know, would want us to continue on with the pod. So I just wanted to give a few minutes to pay respects to Dave. We're going to pay massive respects to Dave in a lot lot cooler ways coming up soon. Um, Just a little (laughs) close in the scheduling event. Uh, but either way, I had to get that out of the way. I had to say the piece, of course, um, and had to address that. Dave, you are a fantastic human being. We all loved you very much. And this whole community is going to miss you intensely. Um, luckily, all the stories we're going to have to tell about you are all happy, joyous, crazy, insane ones. And we're going to have a lot of fun uh, reminiscing. So we will get into that. Uh, as I just said, Dave was a huge supporter of Source Point Press. Um, and we greatly appreciated that segue into tonight's guest source point press 
putting out a comic book. That comic book, it's called Cult of Dracula. The writer of that comic book is hanging out with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Richard Davis. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome. How you doing, man? Welcome. Welcome. Uh, it's great to have you hanging out. That's uh, great, great to be to here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. It's cool to finally speak. Thank you so much for rescheduling. Sorry you had that little uh, event occur. Yeah, but, man. Uh, I'm really sorry to hear about your friend. I, I didn't know him, but he sounds like a fantastic human being. Well, that's why it's it's so weird right now with uh, with the situation because, you know, this was our con family, which, mm-hmm. you know, Podcast Detroit had been so supportive of. And they were always there at every show. Dave was always there. So it's a weird time that there were no shows and we haven't seen him in so long that wow. there's a lot of new source source pointers who've been coming through since then. That's been the weird, one of the weirdest things for me about this whole thing is, you know, luckily source has been able to continue on and flourish during this time, uh, you know, by being inventive and creative and unique as always. But at the same time, uh, you know, source point was founded and grown out of this con atmosphere, this con life, this con mm-hmm. grind. And there's a lot of folks who unfortunately haven't got to experience the magic of a source point con weekend with the family yet. Right. So, uh, you know, it's kind of weird. How, uh, how did you hook up with the family? How did you, uh, get in touch with source point press? Yeah, man, it was honestly a long, strange trip to get where we are today. Um, I, um, I started cult of Dracula, um, as a comic book, uh, on the con circuit, actually, um, at Dragon Con, I started um, kind of pitching the idea to different publishers and different people. And, um, you know, I was just this dude who nobody knew, who had never done anything, who had no business talking to these publishers and these artists and all these amazing people. But I have no shame and I have no fear. And uh, so I was going and talking to people. And, um, you know, made some really cool connections and really cool relationships and got some really awesome advice, um, you know, and um, I ended up with another publisher for a while. And um, we released issue number one as a as a limited release through them. And the success was so overwhelming. Um, And when I say overwhelming, we sold uh, in excess of 10,000 units of that first, um, that first little kind of mini release. Um, (laughs) yeah, you know, and it was, uh, it was a little bit more than that publisher could handle, um, which is not a bad thing, you know, because it really helped them as much as it helped me. Uh, they were very supportive in me taking the book and kind of reshopping it to different publishers and um, so I reached out and I got in contact with uh, Travis and Jacob from SourcePoint. And, um, you know, I basically put on my best absolute no fear um, mask. And I was telling them, like, look, I've got this book. It's called Cult of Dracula. We've already sold 10,000 units. And most importantly, you don't just get the book. You get me. <laughs> and so... I actually, I PT Barnumed the hell out of that and, you know, made it sound like, you know, getting me was like this big deal, you know, and, um, and, you know, Travis and Jacob both went for it. And now I've spent the past, you know, five, six months busting my ass to live up to, 
you know, that check that I wrote, um, <laughs> you know, so um, I, uh, when I say PT Barnum, I, I would have been totally happy living in the PT Barnum days. I would have worked for Mr. Barnum because I, you know, I can sell things, I can get out and promote. And that's what I've done with Cult of Dracula. You know, I, um, I wasn't content just to sit back and let the book go into previews and hope somebody turned to the right page to order it. You know, I started calling um, uh, comic book retailers. I started, uh, you know, a really amazing um, uh, social media campaign with some really incredible people. Um, you know, social media has really carried this, uh, this book forward. And so, yeah, you know, I ended up at SourcePoint and um, they, were, they were able to provide me with a lot of the resources and connections and um, infrastructure that we needed to make this book a success. And um, I absolutely could not be happier um, to be uh, than I am to be with uh, SourcePoint Press. Well, first on, good on your original publisher for not wanting to hold the book back and letting yeah. it grow. That's, uh, you know, who was it with? Can we say? I'd like to give them Yeah, sure. Um, it was with a, a company called Second Sight Publishing. Second um, Sight, uh, yeah. Peter Bro. Yep. Yeah, and, is uh, on the show next week. Oh, right on, man. Peter's he was supposed to, that's he was supposed to be on before you, but I had another rescheduling situation. Huh. So he got bumped till after. Wow. But that's that's kind of crazy that uh he's gonna be on the show next uh Wednesday. So Dude, that uh, is fantastic. Yeah, tell Peter I said hi. Um, um he's um, out of New Brunswick too, I believe. Yeah, that's yep. Canadian, right? Absolutely. So where where are you out of? I am in Knoxville, Tennessee. How did you get connected with a New Brunswick situation? So again, me having no fear and no idea that I shouldn't be able to do the things that I do, um, I saw an article on Bleeding Cool about this company called Second Sight that was um, getting started. They were getting set up with um, something called Cornerbox, and they were they were looking for new um, looking for new comic book properties. And so I just said, "Well, why not?" And um, I sent him an email and uh, got in contact with Marcus Roberts and Marcus and I were talking and um, they loved the concept of Cult of Dracula. And, um, you know, within 24 hours of talking to him, you know, we're getting my attorney and their attorneys together and hammering out a contract and, you That's know, boom, cool. there we were. Nice. So, that's yeah. awesome. A little Canadian connection in there for <laughs> Absolutely. You. That's, that's super cool, man. Yeah. Um, and it's weird. Uh, you, you mentioned the salesmanship and stuff. And, you know, I'm just going off the judgment of what, you know, you telling me about what it was like when you first came in and pitching yourself to, to Travis and Jacob is that is so source point in the way of like con wise, like you of all people, it seems are, would have slid right into that con table and sold, you know, how you would have easily sold out your books in the weekend. It sounds like yep. uh, with your, I'm looking forward to doing that. <laughs> I can't, I, oh, I can't wait till it comes back, man, because it's, it's just crazy. Like, it seems like you'd be uh, right in your element at an actual show. Have you ever been to a show that source points been set up at? Um, actually, no. Um, and, um, you know, it's kind of weird, but most of the cons I've gone to um, have been in the Southeast, you know, Dragon Con, Heroes Con, things like that. And um, I guess SourcePoint hasn't really had much of a footprint in those conventions, um, but hopefully that's going to change, um, you know, because I've been talking to Jacob about maybe doing Dragon Con and Heroes. And when cons come back this year, 
Um, I definitely intend to go to as many as possible. I, I told Jacob, you know, um, what, if you have a con and you have a spot that you can't fill, count me in. I don't care where it's at. I don't care if it's got 50 people or 50,000 people. I want to be there. And, um, yeah, That's so cool. I'm, I'm ready to hop in and, uh, let me on. just, uh, I just got to say quickly, cause I just remember that we've been having a problem the past couple of weeks where I've been cutting out. If you see me freeze, don't go okay. anywhere. I'll be back in five to 10 seconds. Um, right for some reason, kids, you've been watching the internet's been just popping weird lately. So if I freeze, I'll be right back and you'll still be live just so you know. Okay. Um, uh yeah dragon con is one i've always wanted to do but it's always been difficult because fan expo canada has always been the same weekend here in toronto uh, yeah. so i'm always setting up with source point at fan expo and uh you know i've never been able to get out there but i hear a lot of great things about that convention so oh man i love dragon con i've gone since 2007 i started going as a fan um and um eventually ended up working for dragon con in their media relations department oh right and um yeah so i i love dragon con it's always going to have a special place in my heart and um, actually it's really funny when i start when i came up with the idea to write cult of dracula my goal was to be famous enough to be a guest at dragon con so <laughs> like if i can get to that point that's it that, that's the pinnacle of my career i'm done i don't know what i'm going to do after that <laughs> it's a pretty good point to get to, though. I mean, it's a good yeah. goal to have because it means something's happening. You know, it means oh, yeah. somebody's recognizing the work that you have put out there, right? Right. Yeah, it's um, Dragon Con's a fantastic experience, and just conventions in general are amazing because, um, especially in the comics community, because it it lets you know how accessible people in the world of comics are. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, you. As a fan, you you can go up and you can talk to Kelly Sue DeConnick or Matt Fraction or or uh, or Donnie Cates. I mean, Walt Simonson. I mean, you can go talk to these guys at conventions, and they want to talk to you. They want to talk about their stuff, and uh, they want to hear about what you're doing too. So I love I love the convention community, um, and it's it's such an essential part of the fandom that's been missing uh, for over a year now. It's that's <laughs> I'm having a hard time with it straight up, man. Like, cause yeah, that's man. what I did. I'm not a writer. I'm not an artist as far as, you know, actually putting out product, maybe dabbling on the side, but you know, I'm, I'm a source point schmoozer. That's what I've been doing for five years. <laughs> that's what I, I go to the shows. I helped run the tables. I rep Canada and I schmooze and I'm a people person. I'm a social animal. That's all I ever want to do is be out working hard, having fun with great people. And I love to be surrounded by excitement and adventure and masses. Like I'm that guy. I, I'm, I feel you. Like I have no embarrassment gene. You know what I mean? Right. I'm, as, I'm as uncomfortable. I'm as uncomfortable in front of 10 people as I am a thousand. Like there's just, I, I don't get much of a difference. So yeah, it's been a very hard year when it's like, okay, everything, especially this year was supposed to be the year that source point really took Canada, mm -hmm. you know, cause the footprint has been there. The foothold has been in Toronto for a few years now and this was the year we were going to spread our wings we were going to go all across the country we did vancouver uh and uh in february and just smashed i sold everything on the table wow everything on the table i literally left the bag behind like <laughs> i couldn't even believe it i was like do i even need to take this gym bag home that i had all this crap in and i've never you experienced sold the gym bag man i well, I didn't sell it, but I gave it away to the publisher next to us because <laughs> they had quite a few books to take home. And I was like, okay, mm. here you go. 
um, you know, not not like down to the claim. I sold the last deck of claim cards. Wow. Like not a fucking thing left on the table. I was so stoked. <laughs> Me and Matt, Matthew Noel, were there and we were just like so excited and like on high after this show. We were like, we did it because he he had just joined SourcePoint a little while before that. Matthew Noel, uh, chief mm-hmm. financial officer. So he'd only been to like a couple shows with Travis. So this was kind of one of his big first solo shows too, right? So it was our right. first time in Vancouver and it was just me and Matt. Frank came out actually. Frank Gogol came out for like a day or day and a half or something, two days and helped out. <laughs> I got to tell a story, a quick kind of side note about Frank Gogol. Um, so I, I've i been a Frank Gogol fan for several years. I, I started reading uh, Dead End Kids the first time it came out. And I love his work. I love No Heroin. I loved Dead End Kids. And so, you know, the day before yesterday, when Cult of Dracula came out on Wednesday, Frank posted a picture of the books that he had picked up um, at his local comic book shop. Yeah. Yeah. And right there, front and center was, was Cult of Dracula. And I had this like surreal moment of recognizing that a comic book creator that I have admired for years not only is reading my book, but actually went to a comic book store and bought my book. And that just that just kind of spun my little world around of how cool that was. So um, <laughs> I was like that. So I, I hope Frank sees this and uh, and knows that uh, I'm still a fanboy. I still love his stuff. Uh, Dead End Kids' suburban job is fantastic. I can't wait to read his Power Rangers work. And what is no that? Heroin. Like, I haven't talked to him about that yet. Is that official? Is that like fanfic? What the hell is that? No, I think it's official from what I'm understanding. You know, I don't I don't really know Frank that well. I mean, we're friends through social media and we've been talking a little bit and yeah, I follow I can stalk him a little bit. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I know he's doing something Power Rangers related. And um, and I'm super excited about that, man, because I, gotta I don't even read that, Power I was, Rangers and I'll read right. this. Well, I was confused because I saw him and I had a feeling if it was official, he'd be making even a more of a big deal about it because, <laughs> you know, he's he's pretty good at doing that. No, Frank's yeah. a good shit, man. It's uh, Frank's uh, he's cute. <laughs> he's a hell of a think, promoter man i think it's uh i think it's adorable how you're such an uh extrovert yet at the same time so humble that uh <laughs> you'd be so excited about such a thing yeah <laughs> but that's probably just coming from a dude who's you know had to sleep with the same in the same you know sleeping bag as him at times because it's <laughs> just you know this that's the stuff i miss man is the right is the just the band atmosphere of it, you know? You yeah. get there were times we had 15, 20 source pointers in one hotel room, you know? It was Holy just shit. absolutely fucking out of control. <laughs> or especially when it would be in Detroit, you know, because everybody mm-hmm. living around there. I, I've right. started, you know, so, oh, yeah, just craziness. But uh that's rad, man. I it's cool that uh Frank did that. And I'm gonna ask him, I'm gonna see about that Power Rangers. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about <laughs> Um, Cults of Dracula itself. Um, why don't you tell the little people, uh, t- tell the little people, you oh. tell all the people, not just the little ones, the big okay, ones, so the small ones, too, ones, right? Yeah, Everybody absolutely in all shapes and sizes. We're very, you know, we're very diverse on this show. Cause I was like, uh, dude, I, I'm the little people. I'm like nobody. <laughs> 
dude, you're doing great stuff. You got to have a, you know, you don't need to be necessarily so humble. I mean, you're with SourcePoint. You're doing something big enough. That's, Absolutely. That's yeah. And now you've been on an elegant weapon, which is kind of one of the last trials you have to pass to be an official SourcePoint Press family member. Right I'm on. the only re- I'm really I'm the only one who adheres to this principle, but I like to try <laughs> to make it seem like it's a principle that everybody should be following. Right. Um, you don't exist until you've been on an elegant weapon. I got right, it. Right. Well, in the whole, in the beginning, when I, I'll give you the, the quick origin for ask a question I was about to go. I don't know if you've heard it, but I mean, my first year at Motor City was 2015 and I first met Josh, uh, Josh mm-hmm. Werner. And we had a fantastic time. We went out for dinner uh, with a bunch of friends and we hit it off. We talked Star Wars novels all night and uh, just had a great time. So then I came home and it was maybe a week later or something. And he hits me up and he's like, dude, I got this guy who's putting out this book and I'm hoping I can get him on your show. And I'm like, heck yeah, man, who you got? And he's like, well, it's this book called up the river and it's uh Steven Sherrar and Travis McIntyre. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. Right. Send them over. Yeah. So I hook it up with Travis. And the very cool thing is you can literally hear the very first conversation the very first words ever exchanged between me and Travis McIntyre are on record <laughs> on this show, right? Awesome. Which I, I think is one of, yeah, it's one of the coolest things, you know, I've got to build this relationship and friendship with these awesome people. And with Travis, the very first time I literally spoke to him is recorded on this show. So it's one of the cool <laughs> things about right. doing a podcast is these moments, <clears throat> you know, at the shows and, you know, they do get recorded for posterity and it's, uh, it's pretty neat. Um, yes. So what I was going to say is, uh, the elevator pitch. Why don't you pass on to these people, the elevator pitch for cult of Dracula? Yeah. Cult of Dracula is a modern reimagining of Bram Stoker's original tale set within a Manson family inspired cult that worships an ancient blood goddess. Um, it begins, it reads kind of like a true crime story. Um, we arrive at this, um, this place called the uh, the House of the Rising Sun, um, and the we're following a, an FBI agent named um, Agent Malcolm Brom, and he is investigating what's being called the Cult of Dracula mass suicide event. So it's kind of like Jonestown when you first show up, and um, so Agent Brom kind of walks through this crime scene, and it's it's just a scene of total carnage, and the media is portraying it as a suicide, a lot like Jonestown. Um, you know, they, they portrayed it as a suicide, but when you get there, you find it starts to look like, well, maybe a lot of these people weren't as willing as others. You know, it's a scene of carnage. And, um, I love this one, this one beautiful panel where, um, a uniformed uh, police officer is walking out of a nursery and he's got like two trash bags in his hand. And, you know, he's like this grizzled, you know, he, he's a well-traveled police officer you can tell he's seen some stuff but the way henry drew him his shoulders are slumped his his head is just hanging down and there's there's these just tears welling in his eyes and this look of like shock on his face of i've seen a lot of shit but i've never seen shit like this and he you know says absolutely nothing when he walks by agent brom but you see everything in that one little panel so um you know and then Brom comes in and we go through the whole thing. But um, I love that panel. And um, so the story then, Brom leaves the crime scene. 
and we jump back three days earlier and we start to see how we got to this point. Um, so as the story goes along, it's a broken narrative kind of, I watched way too many Quentin Tarantino films growing up. Um, <laughs> so it's a broken timeline and a broken narrative. And, um, the further you get in the book, the less and less certain I want the reader to be about not only where they are, but when they are, um, yeah. you know, I want this constant, I want to build tension by giving them this constantly growing sense of confusion. So we follow Brahms story and then we follow essentially Mina Murray's story. Uh, Mina arrives at the compound. She is uh, part of a documentary film crew from the university of Tennessee. And um, she has been extended an invitation to come in and interview Robert Renfield, who is the, um, the, face of the uh of the cult of dracula and um so it's he's like this enigmatic uh reclusive cult leader very very much manson inspired um and um he never does interviews but mina has this opportunity to interview him and then we start to find out that um there's a reason for that um i like to say that you know everybody in the, there's there are no heroes there are no villains um everybody is telling the truth and everybody is lying and nobody knows which is which throughout this whole story. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really cool and fun story to tell that I really hope that readers are going to dig. I love that, that technique, man. I love that, you know, showing the end and going back to the, you know, literally a couple hours ago, actually, mm -hmm. my kid and I were watching an episode of Lucifer Oh, love and, Lucifer. Yeah, and it was that yeah. one where they did the same thing. So at the beginning, they're all sitting around a table, and like Chloe's like like high or something, looking like at a meatball sub, being like, "This is the answer," and you're like, "What?" <laughs> and then it goes back and shows you, you know, and then it says 38 minutes ago or whatever the hell. Yep. Yeah, that's a fun. Uh, it's a fun trope, man, and uh, it's cool to read too. It was exciting to to go about it that way and kind of, you know, to take, uh, you know, Cult of Dracula being, you know. You obviously you hear those words, you think it's going to be one thing, but there's a lot mm -hmm. more kind of, like you say, murder mystery to it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, what, what inspired that idea? Not just doing like a straight up, you know, retelling kind of thing. Yeah, you know, um, I had originally written um, Cult of Dracula as a stage play, and it was very similar, but it was also very, very different. Um, and I was talking to my friend, Georges Genty, um, I let him read the script, you know, because I wanted his opinion to see if I could, you know, of issue one to see if I could actually do this. And Georges was like, he's like, you know, you've got a you've got a really cool concept here. And you've got he said, I love your dialogue. You know, uh, he said he said, I really, really love your dialogue, um, which I, I, I do like. I pride myself on the way I write dialogue. Um, it's, I guess, one of my strong suits, which I'm very happy about. But he said, but your book really doesn't it really doesn't do anything for the vampire genre. He said, it's, it's just another vampire book. And so we got into a conversation about uh, 28, uh, um, 30 days a night, excuse me, um, got in a conversation about that. And he said, you know, th they made one small change, one little itty bitty thing. And that completely changed the story. And now 30 days of night is one of these just essential um stones in the foundation of the modern vampire mythology and it just answered one question what if vampires didn't have to go to sleep during the day 
And he said, so what does your book do that changes the vampire mythology or contributes to it? And so I took that as a challenge. Um, and so I really started sitting down and thinking about it and, um, you know, how can I make this different? And so I decided, you know, I definitely hardcore decided on the, um, the cult aspect because two things in my life have terrified the hell out of me, vampires and Charles Manson. Um, they are the scariest things in my life other than spiders. I'm terrified of spiders. Um, and I'll probably work those into this book eventually. Um, <laughs> but um, so I, I was thinking for the cult angle, how vampires are like cult leaders. And they both have this almost mystical ability to get people to do horrible, horrible things for them. You know, Manson never killed anyone, but he spent his life in prison and died in prison because he convinced a bunch of naive, vulnerable teenagers to go out and do these horrific things. I mean, they, they beat and, and stabbed and murdered a pregnant woman and cut her fetus out of her belly. And yeah. these were these were like high school football players and prom queens and the nerdy little bookworms. I mean, these weren't like hardened, evil people, but they did all these things because Charlie told them to. And he, he drew his power from their adulation and their willingness to do these things in his name. And that's a lot like a vampire in my mind. So making the connection between the cult and the vampire was very easy. And even that wasn't really enough to change the vampire narrative or to add to the vampire uh, lexicon. So I started researching more and I started researching um, vampire mythologies from all over the world and many different cultures, you know, so I went beyond the typical European and the uh, Eastern European idea of the vampire. I started researching Native Americans and the ancient Greeks oh, right and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and, um, and African cultures. And I started noticing in all of these mythologies, all of these stories, all of these, you know, scary stories and children's nursery rhymes that we tell each other around the campfire, there's one type of character that constantly shows up very consistently throughout all of human history and all of human mythologies. And it's a woman. She's a dark woman, an outcast woman, and she stalks the night on the outskirts of civilization. And she steals children from their homes and she survives by devouring their blood. I mean, Bram Stoker even references it in um, in his novel Dracula. You know, Lucy um, is uh, she's referred to as a as a spirit who haunts the park, um, stealing babies. And that character is very common in human ghost stories. So I started thinking to myself, what if we flip the script a little bit and we make that woman, that character, Dracula, and she is different in all of these cultures, not because she changes, but because the way we see her changes. Right, so right. the Native Americans, when they saw Dracula, they saw the Wendigo. 
And when um, when these uh, the 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 people in Mexico saw Dracula, they saw La Llorona. And when the Russians saw Dracula, they say they saw Babaroga and Lamashtu and Lamia and Lady Bathory and right, um, right, right. all of these characters. Um, so it's just the perspective, the point of view, where we are when we see something is just as important as what we see. So I still needed one more thing to kind of tie it all together. And I started researching the Midrashic texts um, from the Talmud and also from uh, some, uh, some Islamic um, mythology. And I started reading the story of Lilith. And in the Midrashic texts, um, Lilith was, she went off and she was living in a cave near the, uh, the Red Sea and God sent three angels to visit her and said, go and invite Lilith to come back. And which is very different from the way that the Christian mythology tells it, you know, God said, invite her to come back, ask her to come back and tell her if she comes back, all is forgiven. And so the angel, and he said, but God said, give her the choice. And so the angels, uh, they go and they visit her. And Lilith basically says, nah, I'm good. I like what I'm, I like what I'm doing. Right. Now, later that myth has been changed to Lilith says, no, I've been sleeping with demons, so I'm not worthy to come back because, you know, we've changed it and Anglicanized it over time. But in the original Midrashic text, Lilith just says, no, I, I, I'm, I'm happy living my life. And so the angels curse her. Uh, they get angry and they, they actually defy what God told them to do. And they, they curse Lilith to become a, um, a creature of the night that has to feed on 100 of her children every single day to survive. And as soon as I read that story, boom, boom. light bulb. There it, it is. It works. So right. Lilith was the original vampire. Lilith was the original Dracula. And every other time this thing shown up, in human culture, it was Dracula, but just interpreted differently by the people who saw her. That's and cool, so man. once we had that, the story just basically, it just basically wrote itself. Started to unfold. That's a cool thing. It's very difficult, man. I mean, Dracula, vampires, this is a genre that has been touched on so many times in so yeah. many different ways. It's cool to see, uh, you know, people trying to reach out and do something different with the whole idea, uh, you know, because it really it's been tapped um, not to like push someone else's work going mm. on when we're pushing your wonderful work. No, please do. Um, well, actually, first, let me read a comment by Wolfen McCoy. Yeah, uh, there's been a few. Rich is the best, blah, blah. But he says here for anyone reading the creativity of rich in this book it's just the tip of the iceberg he's been a creator writer producer for stage plays and more for years there is just so much more that hopefully the world will get to see soon he is a genius and an amazing <laughs> person i think you got a fan going on here man thank you wolfen yeah and, uh, he, yeah he's a good dude as we mentioned earlier mr peter brow i'm saying that right is it brow or bro i don't know if i'm saying it i was gonna ask you when we chatted peter but he'll be on the show next week. He says, hey, Rich. What's uh, up, dude? And then he also, uh, Wolfen says, murderous mothers can also be an allegory, a metaphysical representation of postpartum depression. That's a good yep. point. I could see Absolutely. how that can uh, mess with your traumas for sure. Uh, there is a book going on right now. 
uh, I believe it's a book, right? This is kind of a weird project. It's it's Dracula Visions from Slampress mm-hmm. Tomes. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. I've not had the opportunity to check it out, but I've definitely heard of it. Yeah, and it feels like, I guess, it's a collection of just people's different takes on Dracula. And the mm-hmm. story is what I seem to be picking up from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just a cool idea. Yeah, see, uh, for a window to the distinct and stunning interpretation, reinterpretation of Bram Stoker's iconic vampire thriller. So it's almost like the thing to do now is to find that mm-hmm. new way in and to find that new yeah. way to play with something, right? There's just something, there's something about Dracula that resonates with us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is probably, I think I read this correctly, it is the most reinterpreted character in modern literature. And, you know, there have, there have literally been thousands of interpretations of Dracula. Yeah. And, you know, there's just something about this character that just connects with us, with our fears. It's a, it's a primal thing. And that, that was what I wanted to tap into with cult of Dracula, that primal fear, that thing that made us, huddle together around campfires and fear what was stalking the darkness. And I I try to play with that a lot in the book, especially as the book spirals out of control. I mean, it starts very almost benign. It's kind of hard to say that a, you know, a massacre where, you know, dozens of people are horribly slaughtered is benign, but that's really just the beginning of where this just terrible, terrible tragedy goes and um, I think you've also touched into the opposite side of it that we connect to, too. There is the fear. There is the, you know, there's the whole strange romantic side of it that, you mm-hmm. know, the female persuasion will understand a lot better than we can probably figure out. But there's mm-hmm. also the power aspect. Mm-hmm. And when you take the idea of a cult leader and the power of manipulation and suggestion that they have. I think this is something we've always identified with, with vampires is we also yearn for that power. Mm -hmm. We yearn for that control, that dominance over regular humanity, you know? And and I think you've also, you know, you're definitely touching on that side. So there's definitely two coins in that one story that are coming through in cult of Dracula, you know? Absolutely. And it's the, it's this, it's a seductive thing. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time, researching I'm, I'm definitely on an fbi watch list because of this but um i i researched manson and jim jones and warren jeffs and these cult leaders you know that were very very prominent in the you know the 70s and uh, late 60s in america and well around the world really but um they had this seductive quality it's like they didn't they didn't force people to do things. They, it's very Machiavellian, you know, they mm-hmm. manipulated people, they convinced people to do things. And, and that, that seductive light touch power is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And it's also very sexy in a way. And, you know, we've explored that power from uh, the male perspective a lot, um, you know, but, you know, looking at it from the feminine perspective and trying to go from that angle um, was very, very different. And I found that it was, you know, it it helped me find a different way to tell this story. And um, I, I just really, really enjoyed 
peeling back those layers and finding ways to connect those uh, those stories like that together and to look at it from this new angle. I love it, dude. I love the way that you, uh, you know, it's one thing I love about historical stories or that are connected to history is when you put a different outlook on something that's existed or we've had this point of view of something for years that has just been so solid and then just a, a cool little different way to look at it. You know, whether it's a gender swap or a name swap or a city swap, it could be the most simplest thing or a time swap. And it just mm -hmm. puts such a different perspective on the whole thing that it's super cool. Um, I want you to take a few minutes and give your artists some love. I want you to tell us uh, all about the artistic side of this endeavor yeah um so nothing about cult of dracula or the process of creating cult of dracula has been normal so of course the creation of the art could not have been normal either um so i began the book in issues one and two working with the brilliantly talented henry martinez um henry um some folks might notice his or remember his art from uh ghost Rider, spirits of vengeance blaze um, for Marvel in the late 90s. Um, Henry did pencils and inks for issues one and two. Um, and unfortunately, Henry's family was impacted by COVID and he could no longer keep the schedule um, because he, he was suffering from COVID pretty badly and got behind. Uh, so we brought in a new artist uh, from uh, Mexico. His name is Puis Calzada. And um, Puis is doing issues three through six for us. And um, so it's been working with Henry versus working with Puis. It, they've been completely different, but both have been awesome in their own way. Um, Henry was very gracious and taught me a lot about how comic books get made and how to lay things out and just different little mechanical things like that. And um, so I'm very, very grateful to him for that. And I wish that he could have continued the journey with us. But, you know, unfortunately, COVID has flipped the entire world upside down. So um, Henry Martinez provided beautiful art for issue number one and number two. And now Puis Calzada is um, doing epically cool work for issues three through six. Um, Got to also throw some love to my colorist, Trevor Richardson. Um, Trevor's been on the book since the beginning, and he's going to stay on it through, uh, through the entire run. Um, Trevor has done some amazing things with color that, I mean, I've been reading comics pretty much my whole life. I've never seen anybody do colors the way Trevor does colors. Um, right and when we, you know, we auditioned probably 20, 25 different colorists, um, when we were looking for it. And when Trevor sent us his samples, Henry has never replied to one of my messages faster than he did to Trevor's submission. And it was like, hire him. And he, he didn't say anything else. It was just hire him. And I was like, okay. And so we started talking to Trevor and we hired him. And I'm so glad that we did because Trevor does things with texture and shading and just, just unique color choices that are just, they're just really cool. Um, and they completely, they com he completely grasped the tone that we wanted for Cult of Dracula. It's got this really 60s grindhouse, you know, late night double feature at the movie theater. Or if you're a kid in the 80s and you're watching like Channel 7, that late night, um, you know, horror movie of the week, it, it's got that vibe to it. Um, you know, it's very Toby Hooper in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like that, that kind of just sick faded um 
uh, Southern Gothic style. And Trevor, his color work just absolutely elevated that. And uh, so um, love working with Trevor. And he's a name, I know people don't often pay attention to colorists, but Trevor is a is a dude. I think we're going to see his name on a lot more books. Right on. Um, is he carrying through all the issues? Yes. The same colorist yep. for all the, okay. Yep. So there's some three yeah. way with that. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, the only change we're making really um, is... Um, to the art is uh henry and will be has stepped aside right, and right. Calzada has picked up on issue three so unfortunately it's happened a lot this year you know it's yeah. not the first time it's, i'm hearing of these unfortunate situations but we got welcome to life in do. the world of covid exactly right yeah um it is kind of cool though that in a way you're helping you know show off a little bit of the source point roots <clears throat> You know, because right. like Source Point was born out of horror comics mm-hmm. and has definitely spread its wings in the past few years to include just so many ungenerable like books. You know, it's, <laughs> right. it's one thing I have a hard time with trying to sell a lot of Source Point books is like you can't even put a lot of these books into a genre. They've mm-hmm. often got like three or four genres in one story that you've kind of got to explain to people how it works you know and that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons i've always loved source point is just the books are so whacked whacked out there but this kind of goes back to the roots this is uh this is another good you know old school kind of horror murder mystery type uh you know situation back on the shelves so that's that's fun to see so i appreciate uh you bringing it around that way you know not that horror's totally gone away but do you use an editor at all in Mm -hmm. any way on the books or um, you know, my, uh, my wife, Amber, um, uh, she passed away recently, but she was my editor Sorry early on. Oh, thank you, man. Um, but, uh, she, uh, she has an English degree. Um, and, um, she, she did editing for me and, um, kind of helped me focus things. And right she on. was very influential on the creation of, um, of the book and the script so I got to give her credit for that. Um, even though she didn't work in an official editor's capacity, um, you know, it, it was a lot of that source point wild west, um, you know, tr- right. pioneering type thing. You got to have that attitude to go out and, you know, build a farm where there's nobody around for 400 miles and right. um, strike and make your fortune way. So um, I was very lucky to have her guidance and her support. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, so she did, she did a fantastic job. So if the book makes sense, it was totally <laughs> her doing. And if the book didn't make sense, it's not her fault. <laughs> hey, hey, man, I'm sure she would be incredibly proud of you. The book's fantastic and you're working your ass off to push this thing and now it's out there. So yeah. what is the plan now that it's out there? Is this a limited series? We're going to take it to graphic mm-hmm. novels. Is this one just going to keep on rolling? What is uh what are the big cheeses decided to let you do with this one? Yeah. So uh, magically enough, for some reason, I guess, I guess I caught Travis on a, on a good day. Um, so they agreed to ride this thing out um, with my full vision for it. I had rid- always envisioned cult of Dracula being, um, a three volume series, um, three volumes of six issues each. So a total of 18 issues. Um, and just like the hammer films that shaped my warped mind growing up, um, it's, uh, the first volume is called cult of Dracula. The second volume is called rise of Dracula. And the third volume is called reign of Dracula. And so volume one is very Toby Hooper, very intimate. It's a small story that follows this small cast 
Um, issue two is kind of expands into a John Carpenter style world where we're kind of taking a broad view of the things that have, have happened in these characters' lives and we involve a, a larger plot, you know, very kind of escape from New York type feel to it. Um, and then the third volume goes just full on insanity, Mad Max. Um, so um, it's going to be a lot of fun to write. And, um, you know, SourcePoint has agreed to let me write all three volumes. And we've been kind of toying around with the idea, um, the bride characters, um, Akasha, Akumu, and Signe, um, they have kind of taken on a popularity of their own already. And so a lot of the, a lot of the supporters, the, I guess I can call them fans now, which is kind of awesome. I have fans. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> it's like, I have fans. What the, I have fans, really? <laughs> but uh, they've been kind of pushing me to uh, develop um, their stories a little bit more. And I think I'm going to try to do that in a series of one shots. Um, oh, cool. Because what I, what I did with the brides was, um, the idea with them is they are they're children of Lilith because in the myth Lilith gets to create children they're not as powerful as her but they're still like her so they're the they're the um the Vitala and the Lamia and the the things that like you know the monsters we see and they were each taken from their different um so Akamu was a um was a Japanese oni um, which is a sorceress, a you know, a, a wise right. woman. Um, uh, Signe was a um, she was a Viking scald, um, and um, Akasha was a Nubian priestess. And so I we're ta talking about doing these ideas of each one of them getting their own origin story That'd through a rad. one shot. So it might yeah. become instead of eighteen issues, it might become twenty one issues. Uh, but there's there's a there's a lot of stories that we could tell within this universe um, if it continues to be popular and the readers want it, um, you know, it. and yeah. um, I'm, I'm willing to go as far as I, uh, as far as the readers want me to go with this. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm pitching some other ideas to source point. And I think, uh, I think we're going to work with source point quite a bit over the next several years, because I love the company. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I might be weird when, uh, in terms of being a comics creator, um, I've really never had any, uh, any desire to go and write Batman or Spider-Man. Um, I just want to tell cool horror and sci-fi stories. Sure. And, uh, so I'm perfectly happy staying in the world of genre comics. Um, and, uh, I want to keep doing that and I, I want to keep reading superhero comics, but I don't really have any desire to write them myself. Hey, you got to write what you need to write, man. Whatever's in there yeah. needs to come out. Right. I mean, that's a cool thing too. And, and like, and all, there's all these mini worlds that are, are, are growing at, you know, crazy rates within the source point universe. Mm -hmm. You know, you're thinking about, you know, a little bit of a spinoff with the one shots, uh, Bob and Sean, they can't leave ogre alone. You know, there's ogre, there's ogres, there's going to be orgables and orgaballs, and there's just going to be every kind of, you know, ogre out there you can have and claim, you know, claim is now out coming Love out from, claim. from the, from the books, you know, just beautiful artwork going on in, yeah. that, in that too. So it's really cool to have seen these little universes spouting up in, into what was, you know, oh man, I remember like I'm not I'm not trying to get all way back in the day, but I, I do I remember <laughs> six years ago seeing a source point table with maybe 10 comic books on it. 
mm-hmm. you know, half of them were by Josh and half of them were by, you know, Steven and Travis, it seemed like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just so cool to see, uh, to see where things have gone. Um, and I love it. And uh, I appreciate yeah, it's a really cool company, man. It really is. It is. It's, uh, you know, it grew out of just uh, a couple of guys needing a, an excuse to put out their books, right? Like it was yep. just, you know, Josh and Trico and those guys. And then Josh happens to meet Travis and that hits it off. And then things just fly from there. And it's really, really cool. One of the proud things is of I am of this show is that you can. I've actually talked with, uh, maybe it was Christina, Christina Blanche back in the past, but I spoke with somebody um, because they were thinking of doing an actual archive, like a sort Mm -hmm. of little like, uh, you know, not necessarily a documentary, but maybe, you know, a little video collection, just some sort of uh, historical documentation of SourcePoint. And uh, remember, I would watch that. Yeah. Well, people were asking on Facebook in the groups, Mm -hmm. you know, do people have info or this or that? And I was like, I've got six years worth of interviews with, you know, almost everybody who's come through these gates. And yeah, know, I've even thought it might be cool once in a while, you know, cause a lot of the, those shows um, were live con shows, you know, that's mm-hmm. what this show, that's why it's another weird thing. As much as I've always, you know, done this uh, usually it used to be over Skype before the whole pandemic, you know, before mm-hmm. the whole zoom thing exploded, I never did video before, but my whole thing was doing live shows. You yeah. know, I was on the floor, I was in the pit, I was in the alley, I was interviewing everybody I could find out there. So having to make this shift's been kind of weird, but uh, I'm very excited to, you know, get out there again someday. And uh, I know we all are, as you have stated, can't wait till the cons come back and we can all get yep. together and uh, have the fun times once again. Oh. Hell yes. <laughs> and uh, you have a passport? Yes, I do. Perfect. Unlike 80% of the rest of source point press for some fucking reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. And well, uh, to be fair, it's like, it's like 80% of Americans don't have passports. So. I know it's completely true. <laughs> Every time I get, it's just, I'm trying to expand the Canadian roster. Cause we always get the same uh, groups coming up here. It's always basically Bob mm-hmm. and uh, be Bob Travis and like, you know, Casey and like, you know, maybe one other person every time. So, uh, you know, and it's always funny because whenever there's Canadian shows going on, there's somebody scrambling to try to get their passport together so they can actually come up and do the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> I will gladly come to uh, absolutely to yeah, come on up here in the fan expo. And hopefully when things come back, we're able to, you know, again, try and uh, venture out on our Canadian conquest quest. Hell and, yeah. Uh, keep things rolling because i'm going nuts kids i'm going I'm happy to come and help you crazy. conquer canada wait absolutely no, that sounds, that I don't sounds know bad what to do kids y'all know i've been going crazy nutty normally out there with everybody we're on the floor we're in the trenches we're doing the thing we're trying to get by here i miss the people um so this is actually very exciting for me to get to meet someone new and have a new conversation with a, yeah. a rad individual such as yourself richard so thanks so much for hanging out tonight man i really, yeah, man. really thank appreciate you for having me it's been a pleasure um really. i hope that it has uh trying to keep it rolling but uh seeing you know folks like you keep coming through uh getting a chance to read your fantastic book uh i've had the chance to previews uh, volumes or sorry issues one and two kids and uh it's everything that it sounds like it's super cool it's super fun and it's not exactly what you're going to expect not at uh, all I, not at all like you're in cult of dracula 
it's uh it's something a little bit cooler than what just immediately comes to mind um <laughs> because the thing that usually immediately comes to mind when you hear whatever of dracula is dracula and yeah. uh you stuffy know, european white dude in a tuxedo yeah yeah a little bit None more to this a little bit more to this um uh, first issue is officially out last wednesday right yeah came out this wednesday um and uh huge huge sales um it awesome. made um it made the spec deck on comics heating up uh nice. key collector picked it as one of its keys of the week um so it's, it's been very, getting some it's very good to us source point he, that, yeah the man it's, it's is great heat dude very 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 good i mean from uh i believe he's he's the one who uh, got uh uh the rejected blown up in the beginning i believe it had oh, a lot yeah. to do with that uh yep but that yep. collector's market these days man i don't know if it's as roaring as it was but holy shit for a while there it was absolutely yeah. out of control <laughs> it's it's fire man i mean because uh, like we're we're really in a golden age for genre comics right now man i mean there's there's so much incredible horror and sci-fi and fantasy and you know whatever you're into there's some amazing comics being made to cater to those interests and you know this really is a golden age for independent comics and yeah. i'm so happy to be able to you know even be on the periphery of that and ride this awesome wave man but the the fandom is as dedicated as ever and you know horror fans are some of the best fans in the world they love what they love and they support it um, like nobody's business, man. And I'm so happy that they're supporting uh, Cult of Dracula. And I'm grateful that SourcePoint gave me the opportunity to, to reach them the way that they have. Well, you're going to have to definitely make sure that you get on in the next uh, Astronomicon when that yeah, takes okay. place. Because that's a horror-heavy show. That's the Twisted show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On every yep. year, and uh, that's a horror-heavy show. So the yep. book would do spectacularly totally well there, I'm sure. Um, can't wait to meet you, Richard. Uh, you know, you too, we man. will have a pint, and we'll do it up properly one of yes, these sir. days. Um, kids, that's Richard Davis. The book is Cult of Dracula. You you need to all check it out. Uh, issue one just came out, so run over to your comic shops and pick it up. If it is out, you tell them to order more. And if you can't get them to order more, you go to SourcePoint Press and you order more. OxiMedia.com, SourcePointPress.com. Get over there. And there's lots of other crazy cool stuff going on right now. Um, my God, I don't even know. There's lots of cool books. As we were talking before, Frank Gogol's got a Power Rangers book coming out. Um, don't think that has anything to do with SourcePoint. No. Um, no, but uh, still go get it because Frank but can write stuff. Kids. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ringo yep. nominated. Um, <laughs> Sean Daly just put out his new bio and he describes himself as, uh, as what did he say? Uh, Ringo nominated loser or something like that. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> or unsuccess, unsuccessfully Ringo nominated. I don't know. And then the rest of his bio is about cereal. He went on for a rant about just cereal because that's, that's Sean Daly. Wait do you meet Sean Daly. You're going to love it. I can't Daly. wait. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to meet all everybody. I'm, I've, I've, I've been privileged to speak with a lot of people over social media from source point. Um, I can't wait to actually meet them and, you know, um, you know, have a pint and just enjoy hanging out, man. I, I'm missing that con atmosphere. Richard, you seem like you are going to slide right on in perfectly. So it's going to so, be going to be good times. Uh, Richard, thank you. Uh, as I just said, Source Point Press, Cult of Dracula, all the other wonderful stuff going on. Uh, again, rest in peace, Dave Phillips. 
we're going to be getting together very soon to have a good old fashioned uh, wake for you there. So once we get together and do that, you all hear us out there. Um, <laughs> again, uh, Monday, this coming Monday evening, Easter Monday, we'll be welcoming our very good friend, Mr. Richard Pace. Uh, we're going to be talking about second coming. Uh, talking about second coming on Easter, I thought it'd be super fun if uh, Rich and uh, Rich and uh, Rich and I got together and talked about that on Easter. And then on Wednesday, as I said, is going to be Mr. Peter Brow, uh, who we, whether it's bro or brow, we're going to figure that out. Peter, you and me, we're going to sort it out together. Uh, we're going to talk <laughs> some New Brunswick. We're going to talk some Ontario. Talk some COVID. We'll talk the whole goddamn thing. Um, we're getting close to episode four hundred. Ooh. I think I have something. Well, obviously, we're going to do something very, very cool. But there's one thing in particular I'm working on that I think is going to be the coolest, uh, especially in this, our 10th anniversary year. Um, we also have a 10th anniversary special that I'm kind of putting together. So lots of very, very cool stuff is happening. Everybody stay tuned. Again, this will be available very shortly where all fine podcasts can be found as well as on the YouTube so check out Cult of Dracula. Follow this man's amazing uh, career as it begins and flourishes. Uh, Richard, good luck. And thank you again so much, my friend. Thank you. You guys have a great night. Thanks for having me. Booyah. Everybody, that is all we are going to have this week on An Elegant mm-hmm. Weapon. Take it ace. Our music doesn't want to play. Uh-oh. I'm not, I'm not sure what's happening. You I killed the is? music. No, I just... Uh, Man, kids, I'm no good at all this. I'm just supposed to talk. I'm not supposed to press all the buttons because then I forget that I pressed something and I had turned the volume down before. So we'll bring it back up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Ska Bohem by the Slackers. You know, you can pick that up on Bandcamp or Spotify. It's off the Boss Harmony Sessions. The finest Jamaican rock and roll in the world, and it's made for you and your friends. That's all we're going to have this week on An Elegant Weapon. Back at Ace!